Hey guys, welcome back to Mountain Murders. Hey Dylan, how you doing? I'm doing great. You've had a kind of a rough week though. Yeah, I've gotten beaten up. Yeah, so do you want to tell our listeners what happened to you? Totally do. It's my friends out there. Okay. You know, within, you know, generic terms. But anyway, so I was at work and I got fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, but you should go into more detail. Yeah, so I work in a paper mill. The stock, kind of pulpy stock, fiber, and you know, before it's a sheet of paper. That's what my area we do. We monitor all those flows and this hot stock and stuff. And so I opened this drain and it was plugged and it burst out and it, it was like fucking napalm and burnt the shit out of me. Yeah. Can I mean, you tell you, them everywhere I'm burnt, honey? You have like second degree burns. Yes. On my arm. arm. Oh, your arm looks terrible. And my face. Your neck. And my fucking neck. Behind your ear. Inside my ear. Oh and my behind gosh. my yeah. ear. Yeah. He's just all blistery and gross. Gooey. Yeah, so I'm considering. If you're another... into gore photos, send me a message and I'll text you a picture. You're gonna tweet. You're gonna <laughs> tweet people pictures of my injury. Yeah, honey, it's pretty gnarly. Okay, it is pretty gnarly. It's kind of <laughs> cool when you watch it heal, but you know. We'll take a vote. If you guys want to see it, we'll post it on Instagram or something. And then I got hit in the lips with a piece of metal. Oh, did you really? So you didn't tell me that part. Just a metal plate thing, but it fell and hit me in the lips, and dude was like, "Oh my god, are you okay?" And I was like. I think some other power is trying to tell me to find another fucking job. Oh, jeez. That sounds awful. So, you know what I did? True blue collar fashion. What? I checked for fucking blood and I kept working. <laughs> no blood, no foul. My let's husband, keep ladies and gentlemen, let's okay, give so a yeah. round of applause. Yeah, so that was that. Yeah, so yeah. But you know what? Okay, since we're talking about work, I'll say this. I was supposed to work five nights in a row, but something changed and I only had to work four. So I should technically, or not technically, but actually, I expected when I worked, went to work today to be back there tonight. Well, it's great that you but, have the evening off because we've been able to do a lot of great stuff tonight. We've totally hung out. We did some research for the podcast, some we, great stories. We went to the library. The library? The library. It's not the library. No, not where I grew up. Okay. But yeah, we went there and we were totally excited and the kids were bored. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and after like at two hours, the kid's like, can we leave Yeah, the library? I know. What's up with that, man? Going to the library as a child was like one of my favorite things to do. I thought it was so fun. It's so fun. There's all kinds of stuff to do. And books, they don't even want to do it. Read, all the stuff. Now they Media to look through. I know. You feel the book and smell it. Kids today, they just don't know. And we were in some fucking microfilm, guys. Oh, yeah. We've cool got a couple shit. cases coming up where we're taking it way back. And we're going to try, don't you think those pictures look so fucking cool that you took of the micro, the article on the microfilm? Oh yeah, I got a couple of those. It's totally we antique. Might, we might post a few of those. Yes. The story today takes place in Knoxville, Tennessee. That's not far from us. Not too far away. It's the day after Christmas, 1980. I was thinking about that. I would have been eight months old. Yeah, I'd have been around two. <laughs> So, you know, I was Where thinking about to. that first Christmas and the pictures of my little first Christmas. Yeah. So I was thinking, ah, oh, 1980. That's a while ago. I mean, when I think of last decade, I'm thinking it's like 1994. Yeah. <laughs> so, I know. Do you feel like that sometimes? Well, yeah, because we're um, 40-ish now, and that's a long time ago. I'm not 40 yet. 40-ish. Don't you, don't you pigeonhole me. You don't know me. Don't so you. Knoxville, Tennessee, the day after Christmas, 1980. Yes. It was a cold December day, nearly freezing outside. The temperature very, very cold. Avery Peaches Shorts, a six-year-old girl, 
buttoned up her warm coat. She had ribbons in her hair and was wearing her favorite Mickey Mouse tennis shoes. Of course, out of school, it's the Christmas holiday, hanging out at home with her mom and her siblings. Loving it, having a good day, I'm sure. Her mother, 22-year-old Hazel Smith, was thirsty. She had smoked her last cigarette, and she was getting ready to start supper for the three kids. So she decided to send six-year-old Peaches to the store to get her a drink. And they live in Montgomery Village Housing Project, which is in South Knoxville. It was about a 15-minute round-trip walk to the store. The little corner convenience store was not far away from their apartment at all. No. I mean, you can like imagine a, about seven minutes there, seven minutes back. A couple blocks, three blocks. Yeah, maybe if even that. Yeah, a couple blocks. And so this was a walk that Peaches had made quite a few times. And yeah, she's six years old. I thought about that, sending a six-year-old. Yeah, but it's 1980. But it's 1980. And Six-year-olds went and got cigarettes for their grandmother and shit and like out of the cigarette machine. Yeah, I mean, it's just a different time. Yeah. And was, I think today we're so, oh, we're just such helicopter parents. Right. And back but, then it was, you know, a six-year-old probably could have spent the day by themselves. Yeah, just checked in a couple of times. Yeah, for real. But yeah, and, but at the same time, something horrible can happen, you know, and that's what's so scary about it. But yeah, we're definitely... Uh, Helicopter parrot bullshit. No. Yeah, we totally Kids are. can't do anything. She leaves the housing project. She's going to walk down here to this corner store. Her mom's thinking, okay, you know, she's going to be back really soon. 15, plus, 20 minutes. Plus, mama wants that Coke. Right. And mama's <laughs> probably doing other stuff, you know? Right. Moving the family along towards dinner, things like that. Well, just before Peaches left the apartment, she told her mama, I love you. And this was around 3.30 p.m. Mitch Reed was mother's 47-year-old, kind of on and off again boyfriend, if you want to call him that. He had stopped by the apartment just before Peaches left on her errand. Reed was slight, balding, and he split time between his parents' house and various girlfriends' apartments in Montgomery Village. This guy, I'm just going to go ahead and say it, he's what we call a hobosexual. Like, he's huh. real quick to find him a woman when he needs a place to stay. A hobosexual. A hobosexual. Oh, my God. Yeah. I heard you say that earlier, and I didn't. Now I got it. I get it. Yeah. I didn't quite get he's, it then. He's kind of like homeless, you. like, loser yeah. dude. He's like, girl, I love you. Yeah. Girl, I love the fact you got a roof over your head. Exactly. And he's the guy okay. that we kind of laugh about this. You he stands see him. behind the girl. He stands behind the girl. For and he's got his, like, hands on her hips, yes. like, waiting on her to pay yes, at McDonald's and he has his, or like, whatever. Had it a strange, typically at like an odd angle. I wear my hat backwards, nothing wrong. But like he, he picks like something very distinct, like a weird angle. Yeah. That only he does. I just picture he's like skinny little guy wearing like a wife beater. A and wife beater. Baggy and, pants. And, and like, he might have just a little Duke style, Dukey style going, just a little dash of it. And he has like a hand towel in his back <laughs> pocket, right? But like folded primly and hanging out. Is that a thing? Well, that's for when you uh, get turned. You sweat. Oh. Yeah, so that's when people know you're ready to get, you'll get turned at any minute because you have the hand towel. You're ready to sweat. So like at a rave? like No, 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 no. no. The, the, no? Oh. the club with a DA. Oh, see, I don't know these things. Yes. You got to imagine, Mitch Reed, he's this, you know, he's this kind of guy. But right. it's 1980, so I don't know about the hand towel. No, but he's a fucking douche. <laughs> I'm sorry. Smith anyway. had met him back in the summer. And he had wooed her with gifts, you know, buying her clothes, buying her a new camera. He drove her and the three kids around in his brown Cadillac. Oh, he's flossing. He's flossing. And he was also trying to get Smith to make a kind of commitment to him. He's trying to win her over. Basically, he was like, I want to move in with you. And like tonight. she was not having it just yet. And so she, you know, they kind of been back and forth on this. He'd really been hounding her. I guess his parents wanted him out of the house. 
so he needed a place to stay. They had been, like I said, hounding Smith to move in together. And at this particular um, visit, you know, he was kind of keeping on. You He was like, you know, you're going to be my old lady. That's what uh, he said to Smith. She told him that she needed some time to think about it. Then she asked him to give Peaches the 58 cents for the Coke. Reed was kind of angry that Smith had been with another man the night before and he knew about it. Oh, but they're not even together yet, though, for real, right? Right. Like, they don't yeah, have any what kind the of commitment. It's not I his mean, business. I guess they date and kind of hook up or yeah, whatever. whatever. Hang out, bro. They're hanging out, right. So there's no Chill commitment. Out. And he's like, you know, he's hounding all these other women in the Montgomery Village, too. He's probably hounding everybody who has an apartment, don't have a man living there. Yeah, I mean, he's had, like, he's had multiple girlfriends in this apartment complex okay so he's all up on her and she's not feeling it that's what yeah I'm so he got really pissed off and later hazel smith is going to say that she just knew there was something about reed that she couldn't trust she just couldn't let herself get involved with him seriously i mean even enough to consider moving in together because so, she she didn't want to like be his girlfriend she has kids and she don't like the fucking dude but what's his whole name his name is mitch reed mitch fucking reed <laughs> is that not a douchebag name yeah right well, I mean, every time she rejected him, he didn't like the answer, and he would get really upset. This day, he got really upset with Hazel after she turned him down, or, you know, didn't even really turn him down, but just tell him, I need some more time to think about this. Well, then, of course, you know, she'd ask him for the money for the Coke, too, which I'm like, score one, always make him pay, even I if you don't like him. I need 58 cent, Mitch. He threw the change on the counter, stormed out. But before leaving the apartment, he told Hazel he was going to get even with her. Okay. I guess, you know, he's pissed about her having been with another man the night before. Well, that's how real men act, like he's acting. I, I love like it. a toddler. When a man throws a fit, throws change at me, and then tells me he's going to get even with me, that makes me definitely want to be with him. Throws 58 cent at you and, talk, and tells you he's going to get you. Yeah. Okay. I'd be so, like, bye, bye, ho. At least I got a coat. Fuck you. <laughs> anyway. So, yeah. Okay. So, he's an asswipe. Well, he is. The walk again to the corner store was a 15-minute round trip. Peaches went to the store, and her mother started to get kind of worried about her. She hadn't come back yet. It was around the 50-minute mark. Peaches is like, you know... So almost 35 minutes late and back. Yeah, so the 15, 20 minutes is, is turning into almost an hour. An hour. Oh, yeah. So her mom's worried. I'm freaking and out. And she's kind of thinking, okay, well, maybe Peaches stopped to play, but like ended up getting to the store and, you know, she should be on her way back. Because, you know, a six year old girl, if there's other kids out and about playing in the neighborhood. Probably not the first time, you know, she got caught or distracted by other kids or somebody talking to her in the neighborhood. And it sounds like she was a bit of a chatty Kathy. Like, everyone yeah. said she was just super friendly, didn't know a stranger. She knew everyone. She would stop and talk to everybody. I mean, she was a really popular little girl. So, everybody what's the first thing she was you super sweet. do? Do you uh, go to the, you, you retrace her steps? I mean, that your first move? Well, yeah, her mom definitely started to freak out. Very concerned as time went on. Okay, I don't think she stopped and played. So her mom's worried, starts searching for her. Ends up, I guess, going to the store, talking to the employees who say, oh, she's already been here and paid and left. And a long it's been time a, ago. And it's been a while. Yeah, fucking Mom's freaking really out. freaking out. Oh calls God. the police. Yeah. Just so worried. Hazel knew that her daughter wasn't going to just wander off. I Is mean, she... this was a responsible little girl who had made trips to the store many times. Her mom knew, you know, she's going to go there. She's going to come back. Do, she might talk to some people on the way. Do what she's supposed to she do. She might stop off and, like, play be a little safe. bit. 
play some hopscotch or something or pass the ball around, you know, little kid things, but she's not going to just wander off. Little Peaches is a mature six-year-old who's handling her business and can go to the store and get a cold pop for her mom. Her mother also felt pretty confident that her daughter wouldn't just get into the car with a stranger. Or holler to any, you know, everybody around her knows her. You know what I'm saying? She hollers out. Fortunately, police took the report seriously, and they began searching for peaches. Some volunteers were organized in the neighborhood. The projects were combed. Peaches' steps were retraced. They swept the woods nearby, and they walked around the railroad tracks also that were near the housing complex. Oh, my God. You know, I could just imagine that's... I mean, I can't imagine the feeling and and the mother's. And then the, the close friends, you know, it spreads out. It hits the mother the hardest and slightly lessens and hits those in the next. And, and I mean, it just, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Well, the search continued past midnight, but there was no sign of the girl. Although police were initiating the search, they didn't actually assign a detective to the case until the next day, which left a lag somewhere between maybe 24 to 36 hours before there was officially like a detective just assigned to this case which later investigators would say that they definitely felt like that hindered the investigation or hindered finding the child. Right. Instead of saying, as soon as it's reported, hey, we got a missing six-year-old, lock that neighborhood down in a 15-mile radius. We're going to, I mean, which I know it comes down to resource, but you know what I'm saying? We're going to do, yeah, we're taking this serious and we're looking for her now and hit the, you know, call the news, get on the media. About a day later or whatever, when they finally do assign a detective, the Knoxville police actually put together a 12-man task force to help find Peaches. Because this was during the reports of the Atlanta child murders, the murder of Adam Walsh. What was it? Wayne, whatever his name was, down in Atlanta killing them boys? Yeah, Wayne Wayne something. something? Yeah, Gary Ramsey. Yeah, Wayne Williams. Gary said just the other day, yeah. Panic of children being abducted by strangers had started, you know, a nationwide hysteria. We're talking 1980. I mean, I remember as a little child hearing about missing children, that's when they started appearing on milk cartons. Yep. You had America's Most Wanted that ended up coming kind of out of that Adam Walsh. Kind of the first true crime series, if you think about it. Yeah. I mean, it was a big deal. And I remember my mother being almost like the helicopter parent about not letting me out of her sight. I mean, Once they started watching America's Most so Wanted. So paranoid that someone and- would take me. And seeing stories about these up-close, detailed stories of these things happening, though this stuff had been happening, it all, you know, there's always depravity, unfortunately. But yeah, once it started getting, you know, you learn about it and see it, and the stories of, oh, the man in the toy aisle, the mom's on this aisle, and the man touches the kid. I mean, you just, they just get inundated with that stuff. It's constant. It's like satanic panic, but like, they're going to steal your fucking kid. A creepy candy man's going to take your kid. Well, that's probably one reason why we're such helicopter parents. That's exactly our why. generation, because we were brought up during this hysteria. We were. Of, you can't be out of my sight. Mm-hmm. A stranger's going to get you. Don't yep. talk to a stranger. I mean, I remember after school specials, I remember school teachers talking to you about it. Your parents drilling it in your head. The evening Don't stranger take danger. Candy from a stranger. If they have you help look for a puppy, they're after you. They're out to get you. Yes. Don't give anyone directions. If a stranger stops in a car and asks you a question, you run the other way. And say he tried I to mean, it was really uh, there's drilled a fire. Yeah. in our heads, at least in my head. I remember. No, that was know, a hysteria. It Locking definitely to was. The, um, seriously, that was a mass hysteria. 
event. This was kind of Knoxville's first sort of big case of a missing child. child So they were just ready to like lock it down. And they had this 12-man task force. (sighs) Time is dragging on. I'm sorry. day turns into two days, into three days. We all know they lost half of the first 48. I mean, that's nowadays we all know that how that's a big fucking deal. You just lost 50% of your best window to, you know, solve it, find someone alive, get the child, you know, whatever. So anyway, well, they're trying. It's December. Snow's falling. Temperatures are dropping. Those searches where they were trying to go outside and look for her, that was kind of taking a back seat because of the inclement weather, the cold temperatures. They couldn't necessarily get volunteers to go out in those frigid temperatures. Resources start drying up in local municipalities, you know. But police really were working pretty tirelessly to try to help find this child, following up on every lead they could, recanvassing the neighborhood. They were totally expecting the worst, though, after not finding her the initial, you know, search and the next couple of days. You know, you're looking at probably over the next, what, 72 hours? After 72 hours, even the most hopeful and started thinking this is recovery now. It's not, you know what I mean? It's the recovery mission now. We're not looking for a safe return. Yeah. That's so sad. Six years old. Winter turns into spring, then fall, then it's been a whole brand new year. That poor family, that poor mother. I, I just, yeah, honestly, it's so horrible. At this point, Peaches has been missing for over a year. And as we all know, the odds were not looking good that the little girl would be found. And if she is found, she's probably not going to be alive. No. And as a parent, I mean, you just hope against hope that that's not going to be the case. You do, but I bet in these parents, unfortunately, who have this or family members that it happens, it starts creeping in, like in the lizard part of your brain. You start, you know, you could be like, oh, I hope or maybe, and you start all these maybes and what ifs. Yeah. But in the lizard part after time. And I just feel like as a parent and as a mother and, and having this sort of sixth sense or like intuition about things... I feel like I would probably know. Yeah. I mean, you want to believe that your child's still there, but you probably feel it in your soul. Your little one leaves, tells you she loves you. Probably been playing all day. You've been close to her all day. You know, nice snowy day. They're all cold. Probably may have had some snow treats, or s'mores, or something. You know, I love snow. What's the day after Christmas? It's the day after Christmas. Christmas treats in the house. Oh my God! And all the Christmas energy, Christmas presents. They're excited. Maybe Santa came. They got to see friends and family. Totally great energy and such a great time. And you send her off to do something she's probably done literally probably closer to a thousand times than a hundred in this nice little local neighborhood. And that's just the last time you ever see your child. I can't imagine. I can't even wrap my head around it. It fucks me up. It, it does. It fuck I can't. And it's just like my entire heart goes out to these, especially these people. Not that all murder, losing people is horrible. To lose your little one. Yeah. It's well, and I gone. think the aspect of your child being missing and the not knowing, I mean, the closure, I think that's such a big thing. You know, when you hear about these big cases like the Natalie Holloway disappearance, I mean, her mother just says, like, we just want to know where she is and what happened to her. Like, they just need to have that closure. Sam, we are true crime fans, which I think we're more realist than most, right? Than some people who are Maybe. Aren't. I don't know. But we're realistic. And you know... 
at a certain point, you'd rather just find your little one's remains and bring them home and, and, you know, get that, start working on that closure than to never know what happened to your little one or who did. Yeah. My brain would explode. Yeah. I don't, you know me. I think of 10 things at the time my brain runs away. I couldn't live with that. Yeah, I don't think I could either. It was January 23rd, 1982. So you got to figure, this is like a year and a month or so after Peaches had gone missing, that a father and son were hunting rabbits by the University of Tennessee Extension Farm in Blount County. Now, the pair walked up on a skull. The elder, the father, um, he is kind of... Trying to look around, trying to figure out, is this a human skull? Is it animal? Is hunting season? Uh, what's going on? It, but know. nearby, he found a pair of Mickey Mouse tennis shoes. And those were next to this overturned cattle chute, which the skull was kind of located by that. It was almost as if the body was kind of under this cattle chute. Like someone had hidden it, perhaps, under Crammed her up under there? Yeah. Oh, my God. The man quickly alerted authorities. As you can imagine, if you're out hunting and you stumble upon something With like this. With your son? Yeah. I mean, it's going to be horrible to find a body, but the body of a little child? A little six-year-old. I can't uh, Again. Oh, my God. Horrible. Horrible. Well, the body was a female child. She still had ribbons in her hair. She was wearing her underwear and her coat was still buttoned all the way up to the top, like you would button a kid's coat before sending them off into the cold. Buttoned all the way up by mom. Uptight, warm as you can be. Yep, snug. A forensic pathologist identified the bones as the remains of peaches. They were not able to determine if she had been like sexually assaulted, I guess, because of the decomposition, the time the body had been outside. Right. But it was very strange that she was wearing only her underwear and the coat. Yeah. And that her shoes had been taken off. Well, maybe maybe it's best they couldn't tell. I know there's a justice standpoint, but just for the... um, Like for the mom's... Yeah. I don't peace know. Peace of mind or... Yeah, I don't know. Mental uh, how, state. How you could... In, yeah, but so yeah. She was buried six days later in a donated grave. During the year, police had interviewed over 100 people. So the police were taking this case... As they were trying seriously the as possible. They were definitely giving it a thousand percent. Yeah, even though I said that earlier about losing the you know first half of the first forty eight, if you will, which is very important. But um, these cops in this story reacted quicker and bigger and and more you know than for an extended period of time than a lot of we ever. So I, my my hat goes out to Knox, Knoxville, Blunt County. Those cops are not playing. They wanted to find that little girl. They really did. And now they want to find her killer. I mean, you have to imagine interviewing over 100 people. That's for all that time. A lot of manpower, a year. It's a lot of people to talk to. And you'd think out of 100 people, someone would have seen something. Yes. Well, we'll get to that. One person did stick out as a suspect. Police later would come out and say, you know, they really felt like this guy was guilty. And it was Mitch Reed. Yeah. Fucking douche. If you remember, Mitch was mom's hobosexual friend. Yeah, my notes, I have Mitch Reed, ex- big exclamation point, like a douchey one, and ass wipe. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what I reco- recalled from you talking about Mitch earlier. Peach's body was found about 15 minutes from Montgomery Village, where she lived, and only about a mile away from Reed's parents' house, where he stayed part of the time. Okay. There's another notch, a reason to get this guy. 
Right. The body was decomposed skeletal remains, and it had a rusty nine-gauge wire, like, around her neck. Her neck had been broken. The wire had come from that UT farm site, like, where the body was found. The wire brand was made in the 1940s. Police theorized that the killer had probably strangled Peaches by hand in a vehicle, then drove her to the farm site where they wrapped that wire around her throat. Maybe right. to just make sure that she was choked, or maybe even to try to throw yeah. police off. You know, yeah, they're they don't know about. Well, they may be trying to make it look. Study, well, they but. may be trying to make it look like it happened there at that scene, you know, and it happened in a vehicle, which that's common, I think, with these sick fucks. You know, they 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 stay moving or whatever, and it happens fast. When they get your fucking kid, it happens fast. I don't, I forget what it is, but it's not very long that they're typically killed. They're, you know, seldom returned, and yeah, it's horrible. And yeah, I think uh, it's something like three to nine hours or something. I think that's uh, yeah, nine, nine, eight to nine hours was sticking out in my head, and so that's a long time. As I mentioned, Reed was a prime suspect in the case. He had a criminal background. Now, this was mostly for thefts and burglaries. His first run-ins with the law was at age fifteen. So, I mean, this was a guy who, you know, definitely had a criminal history and was kind of a dipshit. <laughs> he was from the wrong side of the tracks. He had also been questioned and was a suspect in another murder. And that was of 62-year-old Emma Brewer. She was strangled in her apartment. Her granddaughter actually found her body. She had been strangled with hosiery and an electrical cord. Her hands were bound and the apartment door was open. So no charges were ever filed in Brewer's death. But Reed was definitely on the radar. He had just moved back to Knoxville, I guess, about two weeks before Brewer's death. Yeah. And again, didn't really have a place to stay. There was this theory that he had wanted to maybe move in with her and that she'd refused to let him move in. And he didn't have a place to stay. He probably got really mad and then killed her. I'm sorry, how old was the elderly woman? She was 62. Woman? Jesus. Yeah. So you got this guy suspected and how a hard look on a 62-year-old woman and, God forbid, a 6-year-old little girl. Okay. See, this is when we talked earlier about vigilante justice, mountain justice, all that stuff. Oh, yeah. Before the show got started, we were talking about some old-fashioned mountain justice. Yeah, I just started. sometimes, if, like, a lynch mob could just go grab someone yeah. up because they got off on, like, technicality or something. Right. They go get them. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. A little side note. We'll talk more. But, yeah, I started a book, 10 Murders in North Carolina. And it's in different regions. You got three in the mountains, blah, 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 in the Piedmont, and then some in the coast. And the three in the mountains are the three death penalties handed out. And, yeah. But, yeah, they don't play, right? <laughs> right. The police had a dog search the Cadillac that Reed owned, and it did come up with Peach's scent in the car. I'm sorry. I lost my train of thought there for a second, but I'm saying we should have a fucking lynch mob right now, and they should have got fucking Reed, and they should have fucking killed him after the old lady. He killed I think fucked he's with still the old alive, lady. so they probably could. Oh, my God. We should go. <laughs> Dylan is not inciting a riot. Let's suggest that he gets his just due. Let's just leave it at that. Can we get back to the story? Yes, I'm sorry. Oh my God. Police had the search dog, checked the Cadillac, and sure enough, Peach's scent is in the car. 
Reed said he had given Hazel Smith and her kids rides in the car several times. So, of course, Peach's scent would be in the car. She had been in the vehicle multiple times. Because he's an asshole and he's been bugging their mom and harassing her. He had also admitted during interrogation interviews that he had actually gone to that corner store where Peaches went to buy the Coke. Really? And that he had gotten there before Peaches likely had made the trip to the store. That he had enough time to drink an entire cup of coffee after his encounter with Hazel on that December day. And that he had not seen Peaches the whole time he was there at the store. Oh. Has this cup of coffee, I guess out in the parking lot, maybe in the store, whatever. Probably joking and coking, maybe with the employees or someone he knew. Who knows? And then he leaves and he said the whole time he's at the store, he never saw Peaches. Peaches left at 3.30 and immediately walked to the store and it's a 15-minute round trip. Right, she's in seven, eight minutes, she's there. And he leaves just moments before the child, to because he's saying, oh, I went to the store too. But I never saw her. Right. So right. he leaves mad, goes to the store, has a cup of coffee. He's going to see her walking You would least. think. Very right? likely. Yeah. Yeah, it seems, yeah, but the people at the store saw the little girl, right? Saw little peaches. Right, she did make she it She came the store. in, got her Coke, or dope, as the old timers say, for her mom, and headed back out the door to go home. Now, Reed also refused a polygraph, which, I mean, we know polygraphs are pretty much junk science. It is, and honestly, I could see me, if I was innocent, being accused of something, saying, I'm still innocent, but I'm not doing that because, yeah. I mean, you could just be nervous about being questioned and fail a polygraph. You know yeah, what I, mean? I think my anxiety is so yes. through the roof, there's no way I could I, I would fail one, yeah. but it'd be totally innocent. So it's junk science. Well, it was also noted that he had refused a polygraph in that Emma Brewer case. Well, he sounds like a lying piece of shit, so that's probably why he's refusing them. There was a witness, a boy, who had told police that he had seen Peaches outside talking to a man at the store on the day she went missing. The boy described a man who looked a lot like Reed and was, guess what, driving a brown car. Like Reed. A brown, brownish, and they're going to assume Cadillac because the kid probably don't say that. I mean, kid might. Police wanted the boy to testify, but he ended up recanting his story. And I guess you got to imagine he was a kid and his parents may have told him not to say anything for some reason. I mean, he it could have been racial tensions. Maybe the parents just didn't want their kid to have to go through testifying at a trial. And getting chewed up by lawyers and stuff. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's What's probably multiple reasons, you know. And as a parent, of course, you want your child's... You have your child's best What's interest best in mind. What's best for them. Right. You know? Yeah. But I'm not really sure, you know, why the kid recanted, but he did. And to this day, Peach's murder remains unsolved. It's actually probably the most infamous cold case in Knoxville for many people who live there. They would consider it to be the most infamous. Wait a second. We just did an unsolved? Yes, we did. Is this our first unsolved anything? No, we had a whole unsolved Oh, yes, show. called Unsolved Ashu. I remember that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Mitch Reed continued with his crimes. He was arrested in 1983 for burglary and spent time in jail. In 1985, he was sent away for 15 years on another charge. And in 2002, he pled guilty to misdemeanor assault on a child. <sighs> he's a winner. I'm glad he's still alive, though. I've been terrible if somebody had fucking killed him a long time ago. Well, as far as I know, he's alive. Um, he's in like a... Um, what do you call it? Not like a, I guess a rest home. Probably that, like totally state. Like a convalescent home yes, or something. Right. You know, 
got a lot of medical problems in his 70s, and he's been interviewed even recently by detectives who want to work on this cold case. Really? And, you know, with DNA evidence and everything, you know, they were kind of hoping, I guess, that they could maybe finally get a suspect. But Reed still denies any involvement in this disappearance and murder of this little girl. He swears up and down. He didn't have anything to do with it. He knows, you know, he knew Peaches. He, he knew our mama. Right. But he never was involved. But now this is crazy. He is currently married to a woman who lives in Montgomery Village. And by the way, Peach's mother still lives there as well. Really? Yeah. All this, all these years later, she still lives there. Wow. Which, that's got to be hard. With that memory. I know. I would have had to go. This other lady who's, I guess, Mrs. Reed, the wife, <sighs> um, still lives in Montgomery Village. She said she knew Peach's very well, knew Peach's mother, knew Reed back in the day when this happened. She said, well, of course, her husband has never admitted or confessed anything to her, but she basically told cops she wouldn't be surprised if he had something to do with it. Well, look, the dude, there's no smoking gun here. It's very heavy on the circumstantial, and he sounds like a piece of shit. He could be just a creepy fucker who happened to be near two events that happened, and the cops took a hard look at him and like, yeah, he's creepy as fuck, gives us a bad vibe. Maybe he did it. That's possible, too, I guess, with, without just that smoking gun, this is what happened. But, um, yeah, I think he's just a fucking pervert. I mean, honestly, I'm just from what you've said. Well, and not that we have any hard evidence, but, I mean, he did plead guilty to an assault on a child. And I couldn't find yeah. details on that case. Years later. What happened. Right. But if this man is violent with children and okay. possibly well, see, that's... murdered a child, I mean, I, I just think... Those things could maybe go hand in hand. I call evidence circumstantial until it reaches like a tipping point where it's just so much circum. This is like, this isn't circumstantial anymore. This is likely. This is more than likely what happened. The bigger surprise would be if something else happened besides what I think happened kind of evidence. And there was a lot of it there. Her not screaming out in the neighborhood. Hey, this is not my daddy. I don't know this person. Scared. Everybody well, as her helped. mother said, she would not go right. off with someone she didn't Right. Know. And if she hollered, she's a little neighborhood girl. Everybody knew the little, beautiful little thing, little peaches, talking to everybody. Just light up people's day, I guarantee you, every time they've seen her. She hollers for help that she's getting help from like six people. Probably. Within a hundred feet, I guarantee it. She doesn't do that. She probably knew the person. She knows a Mitch. Car was similar. Little boy described the car. It sounds like Mitch's brown Cadillac. Well, and you got to imagine the timeline. It doesn't line up. If no, he stormed he's out of lying. the apartment, he's pissed off. Yes. He's telling mom, like, fuck you. I'm going to get back at you. I'm going to get even. And then little Peaches comes along Goes five minutes to later. Store, right. Stands out in the parking lot to drink his cup of coffee. A hot or, cup of coffee. Or, I don't know, maybe he drank it inside the store. But it's like he's hanging out at that store knowing that this child is coming there. And he done said, I'm going to get you. Get back at you. Right. So it's almost like he goes to the store and he's like waiting, yeah. waiting for this kid. And then she comes up, whatever. He, you know, probably offers to give her a ride back or home. Or we can walk back or whatever. Yeah. He got her confidence because she, and she's just little. And even if they're arguing, she knows that this dude knows her mom, you know, she knows. Well, everything. you know, her mother trusts him enough to be around the kids. Right. So she's thinking, you know, this is a safe person. This isn't stranger danger. That's a fucked up story. It is a fucked up story. And I think he's a piece of shit. You I always think, think, yeah. You think he did it? Well, yeah, there's a whole thing with the poor 61-year-old Miss uh, the Brewer woman. Yeah. 
I mean, I mean, I'm I'm pretty sure Mitch Reed is probably the guy. If you happen to sure. keep happen, that's another circumstantial. If you keep happening to be where these horrible things happen, what's the common link between those events? Years apart, you. You know, you're it makes me think something. of what is that movie with Matthew McConaughey, A Time to Kill? Yeah. With Samuel Jackson, I just feel like if something happened to my child and I knew in my heart of hearts this person had done it, yeah, I'd kill him. I would have a hard time letting that person walk around and. No possibly live in my apartment building. He marries a woman who's my neighbor, whatever. Having to see this person, hear his name, I don't... mm -mm. It's not happening. No. I'm going to kill that person. Either I have to leave the area completely or I'm going to kill that person. Yeah, I would have to. There's no way I could stay in town with a person who had murdered my child. Now, did Peaches have siblings? She did. She had two siblings. So there yeah. were three kids. I was just going to say, especially if it's my one, just because I wouldn't think I have these other children. Because I'm sure a lot of time in the midst of this horrible grief, people helps them pull out like I have them. They're still living. Life goes on. I have to do this. Right. But if it was your only child, if it's my only child and you did this, and I know that you did it, but you get, uh, it's over. Because I don't give a fuck anymore and I'm going to kill you. Yeah. Yeah. I might not cut you up like Buffalo <laughs> Bill. But I'm going to fucking kill you somehow. Yeah, I don't know if we should be admitting this on this podcast. But, well, um, you know, God I, I don't know. I just feel like poor um, Hazel Smith. As a parent, I don't I think I can handle it. Yeah, I'll just leave I can't it at that. even. And, no, poor Hazel. And then is on it? top of that, you know, adding insult to injury is probably bumping into this guy. Knowing hey. that, like, he's probably the one. And they're all around that same area. They're just, you know, people that know everybody, knew of. And her name's Hazel Smith. Poor Hazel Smith. Here's my thing, though. This other chick's married to the dude. Lived in the project here, knew Peaches, knew the situation. I knew, I knew the knew sweet the little girl that my husband probably and killed. Then the, knowing that he possibly could have been a suspect, I'm not even going to fuck around with some dude who may have been a suspect, especially not in a child's death. They lying, girl. What about the 61, poor 61 year old woman you were also? They lying too. I mean, that don't sound very good, does it? I don't know. No, you're probably a piece of shit. It's mind blowing to me. But then again, women fall in love with like serial killers in prison. His fucking name is Mitch Reed, guys. Who am I? That's all you need to know. Who am I to know the inner workings of the human heart? (laughs) And that's no offense to anybody named Mitch or anybody named Reed or both. This guy just happened to be. You don't like this guy. A piece of shit. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mountain Murders. Of course, this is the sad case of Peaches Shorts. And if you want to, you can always find us on Patreon, Mountain Murders Podcast. If you want to donate a couple of bucks a month, you can get extra bonus material. We post more podcast episodes. We have videos, photos, lots of interesting um, information over there. You can also find us on Twitter under Mountain Murders. You can find us on Facebook under Mountain Murders, and also on Instagram, Mountain Murders Podcast. And of course, you can hit subscribe on your phone, wherever you listen to podcasts, download us, and leave us a five-star review.